We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Charlie Meaden, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. I just got lost listening to your podcast about 10 minutes ago. I almost forgot about recording this one. Wow. Uh, wow. I'm honored. And yeah. That's an honor. Thank you so much. <laughs> you are the founder of Gembot.ai, an AI investing assistant and modern wealth platform, which of mm. course everyone is you know, into the AI thing. I always like to say yep. most people, the only AI is in the name, but I've looked at your stuff <laughs> and I think it's really kind of cool, interesting. Always I'm fascinated by this in so many different ways. So I'm so excited to talk with you about this. But uh, before we get into all that, I'd love to hear how you got to do all this stuff that you're doing today. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends how far you go back, you know, because Obviously, all the previous experiences I've had have obviously led me to be here where I am, specifically in New Zealand, originally from the UK. So a decade ago, my wife and I emigrated here the day after we got married. And we've basically, I think we've been back once or twice, have three kids here and a dog who's behind me who may bark during this episode. Um, we're we're dog friendly here on the show. Oh, we that's love good. <laughs> I love dogs. Yeah. But yeah, I originally trained as a goldsmith while playing gaming and esports professionally, really in the early days of esports. Was super interested in technology and gaming specifically, very, very passionate about it, and used the jewelry and the goldsmithing to kind of earn a living and actually then retrain into programming. So, kind of got here to New Zealand, got established started i built my own sole tradership for the goldsmithing and i was able to work a couple of days a week and then have every, like you know seven other days to then get into technology which led me to helping a recycling startup that was operating in arkansas and i helped them build the first couple of mvp products for their recycling gamification platforms and that then led me to build what I really wanted to do, which was uproar, 
at the time, which was basically an esports platform and air miles for video gaming kind of website and reward platform where you could earn kind of headsets, keyboards, stuff like that. And we grew that to about 450,000 users, struggled to monetize it ultimately, and didn't have a strong enough kind of leverage with the actual developers themselves because they would want to build everything. They would want to often bring things internally unless you could offer them something really substantial. I think we just, we thought our customers were the gamers, but they were probably actually the game developers. Anyway, so we found a path to getting Aqua hired because there was, that entity was going to be able to bring the sales for us and kind of pivot the business to be a bit more B2B. And then through that experience, I had some capital and I wanted to start getting into investing, but didn't have enough capital to do angel investing well. So I then spent, yeah, the better part of three years reading as many books as I could, uh, coming up with my own mental model for, on how I wanted to allocate capital in the public markets and then utilizing, you know, my manufacturing background in jewelry to create kind of systems for investing and then my programming skills to then automate as much as I could. And I kind of came up with the idea that I wanted to get venture level returns in the public markets. That was my objective. So 2019 officially started trading it with like the systems we built, back testing system and the kind of system to create the trades. And we've been trading that since 2019. And as a part of that, we then thought it would be awesome if other people could uh, basically execute and manage their investing. And we came up with lots of, we had lots of issues with our, with the strategy. We're like, oh, we have four different brokerage accounts and they're not all connected and like we actually want to have a, a a reconciled whole view of our of our book, and you know we came up you know oh well journaling our trades is quite important so that we can kind of get a recon reconciliation of how how to do things and then obviously we want to be able to have a logic behind buying and selling our different equities and such, and that's where we've been thinking about and trying to build Gembot to help people essentially manage and execute the wealth. We hear, hear a lot that people are like, well, if only I stuck to my strategy, if only I actually executed on my idea, it's kind of that, that FOMO kind of side of things that often kind of finds its way into investing, but we kind of want to build a platform where you're there for the long haul. So you're, you know, you'll get, it's not a get rich quick platform. It's a get rich slow platform. And over time, what we want to do is educate people and get them more financially literate. Because really, the, how you build wealth, in, in our view, from this kind of thing is three ways. You cut your expenses. So how do we help people cut their expenses? You learn and become financially literate. And you invest regularly and contribute regularly. Those three things combined will, you know, be the difference between, you know, 27% plus at the end when you retire. So that's yeah. kind of our objective. Wow. Our, our internal benchmark is that if people use our platform, you know, for their investing life cycle, they'll retire with 27% more. Wow. And that's not by performance necessarily. That's by also just really, that's just by extra contributions. Yeah. And we're not saying we can necessarily help you outperform, although people that use our generative AI and our automation, they may generate alpha, but we're not, you know, we're just providing a tool set. But by helping people save more, 
that's where we can help people ultimately retire with more. Yeah, I think it, I don't know, maybe it was Albert Einstein that said something about the power of compounding is like but the eighth wonder, eighth of, wonder the world. of the world. Yeah. Because yeah, that's on our web, that's on our website. We've got a compounding calculator. Oh, okay. Good, and great. we use that quote on our website that from Albert Einstein. Yeah. And it's, it's so true. It is. It's magic almost. It's like, how could this be? <laughs> well, but but then, you know, it's in theory, right? The yeah. theoretical yeah. kind of components of linear compounding, right? When it's predictable. But markets and that's the thing, that's the other thing that's a part of this is markets. And investing investing is not linear. No, not at all. You know, over if you go if you extrapolate out long enough, okay, it looks a little bit linear, but it's not. You know, things change, dynamics change, and that's where you know financial literacy and the generative AI can help you you like understand what's going on by looking at history and researching history hmm. and kind of coming up with some understandings of what you know what happens when there's money devaluation or you know what were the dynamics like in diff past periods that are similar to this? You know, if I describe what the current environment is to our generative AI, can it give me some examples in history that kind of played out? And then, you know, you might be able to find trades. I was doing a couple of experiments with it the other day where I was one, I was looking at history of when oil does well and gold does poorly. I'm interested by the concept of that trade at the moment. I probably will never place it, but I'm just interested by that dynamic of when, you know, you're heading into a recession, but you've also got these weird inflationary and geopolitical kind of tensions and how gold is very, 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 very good until you get into like actually a recession. And then usually everyone has to sell the gold to cover everything else. So usually gold gets destroyed. Like after, you know, after these inflationary periods, because people have to kind of rotate and, you know, there's stimulus and printing of money and then, you know, gold kind of doesn't perform as well. But yeah, using the generative AI to like kind of find out even if it's just a generic term or something quite, com quite complex. So it's not like a Netflix subscription where you get one thing. It's like, you know, I get a Nissan Leaf and you get a Lamborghini perhaps. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think it's like anything, in order to use the tools effectively, you have to actually learn what it means. I think I've been finding this more and more as I talk with people about generative AI, AI in general, as well as how it's going to affect people's working. You know, there's they have this whole thing about, oh, the white collar class is going to go away because generative AI is going to take their jobs. And I just say, well, someone's got to drive the boat. I don't get it. I don't believe it. I think it's another tool that you have to really understand the inputs and outputs. And to your point about, you know, learning and literacy in the financial space, I think that's a really important aspect of this is you could lose a lot of money really quick if you don't know what you're doing. And, you know, some people oh, just, you know, who? That's right. And it, it depends what your intentions are, right? Like what are your actual goals? You know, what, why are you doing this? You know? If you're trying to build your wealth, why, you know, there's got to be a why so that you can then, you know, get through the long term, right? Something you said there kind of got me going and then I kind of missed it. Damn it. But there was a really good thread in there where, where you were talking about, what was it? You were talking about like white, white, white collar, white collar. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. 
Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, white collar. Uh, I, I made this tweet the other day. It was a while, a while ago, probably a couple of months ago. I said, if you're not building equity, you're going unemployed. And it's not that the entire white collar profession will change. It's just that productivity now taking a completely different step. One of the best things I've, I think I've done in terms of my work life is I wrote this memo in 2021 called how to fight inflation in a deflationary world. And it just, it talked about how, what do you do when you've got all these inflationary pressures because of all this money that was printed and all these supply chain issues and all this debt that's been created uh, with a world where there's automation and AI creating tons of deflation. So it's quite an interesting kind of dynamic we've got right now where you've got pressures of deflation through automation and productivity gains. You know, our team is a small team of six, but if we all utilize automation systems and AI, we are potentially 12 people, you know? And, you know, ultimately with Gembot.ai, it's kind of like, how do we create, you know, it so that our customers essentially have like a wealth management team in their pocket? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, it's a good point. You know, I mean, I was actually at a, hardware start, no, hardware meetup last night. And I live in San Francisco and they have yep. these hard adopters, hardware startups all yep. the time and whatever meetups. And it was funny because one of the people that were there were showing a tool to design PCBs, you know, the things in electronics. Yep. And it was, it was web-based. And, right. and everyone, we, everyone like was like, ooh, aha. And I'm thinking, wow. Like I remember when I was an engineer, and we would design PCBs. This is, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. We, we, we used to use a PC to do it. And the guy was saying the exact same things. Like, well, you remember, you just have the PC in the corner. That's the thing. And they're archaic and you can't, you know, I'm just sitting there going, oh, wow. Like, and he, of course, had AI to help with the parts and the routing and like all the things that were like such a pain. I mean, I remember this like it was yesterday, how painful it was, mm. you know, to like match the impedance of a line. You had to like, calculate it with your by hand and this guy's like yeah it just does it automatically and you're like yeah 2023 <laughs> you know, mm. and this is clearly like to your point the productivity gains on just something like that and amongst other things is phenomenal and i just i just wonder if you know as that happens that just the level like there's just going to be a new standard like to your point you're either investing are going to go out of business. I mean, there's some, you're going to have to keep up. I think, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, well, you need, you kind of are being forced more to have some ownership of something. Right. And obviously there's been more of a kind of more of a kind of push towards own nothing. Right. Which, which kind of, I get the kind of concept, but at the same time now with AI, if you don't have equity you don't have kind of guarantee of like income essentially or like you know like in the future potentially i don't you know this is the first time when i at least when i've been in kind of industry where i don't really know the outcome like i can't see the outcome clearly even though it doesn't mean i'm right when i have these like thoughts about what the future will look like like i kind of can't forecast ahead I don't have the computational wherewithal to do it. That's where I need AI.
And that's where I like my Twitter handle is Cyborg Charlie. And mm. I think we're all cyborgs now. So, yeah, you, I mean, it's so, yeah, like we've got these phones, right? Tell yeah. us everything that we need. Yeah. The cyborgs. Yeah. I mean, the, the, what this reminds me of is back when the personal computer and the internet was just starting to get going. Because I remember I was at a semiconductor company building chips for the internet, like literally like for routers and stuff like that. Mm. And it was just this, I mean, you just couldn't keep up with it. You know, mm. it's like building the infrastructure for the internet back in, you know, late 90s or early 2000s, where, you know, it's unheard of, like college, like, oh, I have email. Like, you know, I was email on a terminal at the, at the college, right? And to where we are today, which is not, you know, what, 25, almost tw almost 30 years later. It's, it's insane. And well, then, what is that? Yeah. Right? I was just going to say, what, and what does that do to like information transfer? Yeah. You know, what that's that, done. Yeah. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I mean, that's why markets and, you know, financial instruments are moving so much faster now because this, the amount of nodes in the system, you know, is just kind of just kind of growing and growing and growing it's it's insane and every new agent you increase into the system now is a new node that has some level of randomness statistical randomness i mean that's it llms right there's ra it's random in a sense it's not random but it's random so well, each yeah, new agent that yeah. acts in the environment is technically like another human in a sense because it's just another node yeah now, it might have consistent views about certain things so these collective number of nodes are obviously going to have relatively similar responses to stuff, but it is just another kind of point of information that's going to dictate markets yeah. specifically. Agreed. You know, it's like just, yeah, it, it could be consistent yet random because it's random within the sphere that it's playing. in. so you may not be able to hundred percent predict it, but it'll probably be within this realm. And even that there's some probability. I mean, that's, that's what well, there's a, there's strategy. always an opportunity for a tail risk then. Yeah, right? exactly. That's, right. that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Very common to see all that throughout history. Yeah. Like, how oh, you've seen it happen? time and time again. Yeah. How yeah, you've seen it time and time again. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know, you've got Nassim Taleb's like the Black Swan, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's another Michelle Waka, I think is her name. And she, she did the Grey Rhino, which was kind of like the Black Swan, but she was kind of arguing that Nah, they're not black swans. Like they're grey rhinos. They're stampeding towards you. It's just that you can't be bothered to look. Well, and that's I, so true. Well, it, I mean, it is interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, I think people just get frozen. It's like the fight, flight, or freeze, and they just freeze. And the, oh my god, we don't know how to <laughs> get out of the way of the charging rhino. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and actually, you can know that it's charging. And you can still end up getting stampeded just because knowing is only one part of it, you know, then executing correctly is a whole different ballgame. And that's, you know, that's hopefully what we can kind of help people solve for over the long term and kind of, you know, utilize AI, you know, work with AI. What's the augmentation? Because we probably have different lines of where we want automation and AI also to kind of dictate our decision making and our you know, financial well-being or whether it be, you know, our emails or whatever it is, we probably have a different kind of line that we want to kind of augment, you know, my augmentations be different from yours. We might also have different preferences of models that we want to use. 
I align and resonate with the Bard model, you with the GPT model, it, you know, it, it becomes a bit dystopian. Yeah. I mean, it, there's a lot of things from an ethical, moral, you know, compass type thing that have to be worked out. And, and, you know, I hope, well, I'm always optimistic about these things because I generally am a short-term pessimist and a long-term optimist. And I do think that things get worked themselves out because it's in everyone's best interest in the long run to have them work out because there's just innate in our kind of being that kind of propensity. And I don't know, I, I, I just, I feel that, yeah, we're at the wild west right now and just learn as much as you can stay ahead of it and make sure that you're, you know, really being thoughtful about it. But I'm, well, it's a gold rush. Well, yeah, I was going to get back to this whole idea of your goldsmithing. I've never met many goldsmiths. That's is what is that? What's the uh, what does that mean? I mean, I can imagine, but tell me a little so bit. I made like engagement rings and necklaces oh. and also manufactured like fashion jewelry, so silver kind of rings and pendants and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah, mainly fine jewelry. So yeah, like kind of diamond engagement rings, tennis bracelets, stuff like that. But then got into the manufacturing space because it was very lucrative. Yeah, there was like no cost and you were getting paid a lot. And if you created a good system, you could do 5X what you, someone else is doing in a day. Oh, wow. So wow. if you get efficient, you can go and do two days of work and then not work for, you know, even a month. Oh, wow. So, like, so you, someone would like want, would it be an individual client or a store? Or I mean, yeah, it'd be a, it would be a brand. So they'd basically be like, okay, I want 500 of these finished because they would give you the, the kind of half finished product and then they'd charge you maybe, I would charge them maybe $12 each. And if I could get that down to like, you know, three minutes each one, that's pretty good. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't, I don't know much about, I have a friend that does sustainable jewelry. It's like a 3D printed and, yeah. and, and 3D printed kind of, and then probably lab grown diamonds and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about the yeah, diamond we, part. We do lab grown. We used to, well, you know, I don't do it now, but uh, yeah, we got into lab grown diamonds as well. Yeah. Which is kind of more sustainable, of course. Yeah. And then, you know, knowing obviously where things come from, you know, mm -hmm. There are some pretty good circular economies that have thrived because they're, you know, they're, they're mining tanzanite or whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. and then there are obviously bad outcomes too. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, I mean, what are, what are some of the kind of lessons that you've learned so far after kind of jumping into this? I mean, obviously entrepreneurial with the goldsmithing business and, you know, trying to make efficiencies. I mean. I used to be in manufacturing, so I can really appreciate that. You know, it's easy to make one thing. It's hard to make a million things. And there's an art to that. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's um, quite a fun. It's yeah. fun. No, I, I mean, I used to love tweaking little things to make it a little more efficient, a little more yield. But what are some of the things you've kind of learned along the way that have, you think, you know, even from goldsmithing or what you've brought to Gembot? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's kind of what I learned from esports and gaming originally was how to lead and how to make decisions with incomplete information with other, you know, kind of highly volatile decision makers in the game. Right. 
because you're, you know, if it's 5v5, that's a lot of decisions being made, a lot of incomplete information to deal with. And then if you're playing at a high level, communicating amongst each other is also kind of a skill that really has helped me and more around kind of being comfortable making decisions. And then I read a book once called Thinking in Bets, which is very good. It's by a professional, a female, female professional poker player. And it was all about detaching the outcome from the decision. So based on the information I had at that time, when I made that decision, like, am I happy with that? And if I'm happy with that, then the outcome like doesn't necessarily define me. And I think it's when you're kind of making decisions, you want to have that kind of, you want to be focused more on, am I making the best decision with the information I have rather than, oh no, I hope the outcome is this because the outcome may not be what you desire. And I think from that perspective, from an entrepreneurial perspective, which leading to decisions is try and make as least decisions as possible. Because you don't want decision fatigue. Every decision you make basically deteriorates the next de decision to a certain degree if you're forced to make them over and over and over again. Or it can do, depending. You know, investors have that, have, have to deal with that where they might be making lots of decisions and trades and kind of managing their money. And if they're forced into making many, many decisions, they've got, you know, it's like, it's, it's like poker as well. Like, you know, if you're in every single hand, and you're paying to be in every single hand, then, you know, the statistics aren't on your side, really. So that's kind of a couple of kind of threads there, a bit of rambling, but a few threads around kind of, you know, trying to focus on making good decisions and then actually trying to make as few decisions as possible. Because we, because we make a thousand decisions a day, but only one really matters, you know? Like we're forced to make all these micro decisions, but it's like a few defining decisions that are going to really be the game changer. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, yeah. I mean, the decision fatigue, I, I, I agree is real and trying to minimize at least the trivial ones so you can focus on the more important ones. I do think helps significantly with the thought process. And I think it's not that, you know, it's the cognitive overload I've found especially when you're running a company and you're starting things up and you're like, gotta, like, it seems like there's so many decisions to make. Whereas, you know, cause everything's all new and why do I do this? What do I do that? And it's really just, you know, set the stage, you know, like foundationally, this is our direction and then mm. go that way and stop second guessing. Do we do this? Do we do Python? You know, like whatever it is, like you always get the room that people always ruminate on, oh, this font, this, and you just like, just doesn't matter. It's, Go that way, you know, go that way. So, mm. um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that, that's kind of the sense of, yeah, my, that's my kind of feeling on, yeah, kind of the entrepreneurial journey is you're forced into a lot of decisions. So you have to be okay with making decisions and you probably have to be okay with like refusing to make decisions. Yeah, or it, yeah, do we or, really need to make this decision you know, right now? Yeah. Mm. It's a good one. So what, what you playing any games right now? Do you still game or I mean, or is it? I play with my son. Yeah. So okay. we play a bit of Fortnite together and it's, it's good because, you know, I've still got it. But, uh, <laughs> you still can't beat the old man yet. <laughs> he's so much better at, there's two components to Fortnite, which is the building and the shooting and the building. He is just, 
so much better than me at. Yeah. But the shooting and the kind of the kind of strategy behind sometimes staying alive. Yeah, I've kind of still got that edge at least for now. But I mean, we 1v1 and if we 1v1, like if it's a building focus 1v1, he'll beat me and he's eight. So yeah, cool. But he's he's incredible though. He's like very good. Oh, uh, cool. He probably shouldn't play so much. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just interesting because, you know, to your point about, you know, thinking in bets and the, like the gaming construct, I know a lot of entrepreneurs that, you know, I'm not a big gamer. I, I don't typically game, but I, I can appreciate game theory and I can appreciate that in the, from sports analogies, right? You yeah. win some, you Similar lose to soul. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. And that's what I was going to get at. It's like in, in, in sports like games or any kind of game that, that's, you know, competitive, you win some, you lose some. And you just have to be okay with that. You're never going to win everything. And the entrepreneurs that understand that it's not about winning every time, it's about getting to the goal and it's about learning from the loss or whatever. It's like so yeah. powerful. And I see so many young entrepreneurs who come from, you know, they've never lost before, quote unquote. Mm. And yeah. this is such a tough job and it's such a tough thing to do. I mean, you're creating something from nothing. Like, that's going to be hard. And, and one, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally resonate with that. And, you know, the gaming thing was a good start for me around that. But because, you know, just, I play with my son a bit now when I can, but I got into jujitsu when I was in San Francisco, actually, I started jujitsu. Cool. Back in 20, maybe in 2018, but I train, I train every day. I'm a purple belt. Uh, and I have a really good team that I train with and they're very, very good. And I trained in Oakland at 10th Planet. Oakland. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. I trained at San Francisco Jiu Jitsu, which used to be 10th Planet Jiu Jitsu as well. And then I trained here as well in New Zealand. And that for me is great because it's, that is the entrepreneurial journey is like having some guy that's 50 kilos or whatever, 50, 60 pounds heavier than you, like controlling you and, you know, basically beating you up and making you want to quit and you know you have to get comfortable with that because like you say it, it a lot of it's a lot of it's a bit of a suck <laughs> yeah well i'm a i'm a blue belt in jiu-jitsu oh nice so, cool where do you uh, train in san francisco uh, bay, bay jiu-jitsu okay cool. big big combat sports in, in japantown yeah i found the same thing the humbleness i mean i'm a big guy too i mean i'm over 100 kilos yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, well, I'll probably around hundred kilos, right? So 220 pounds and yeah, I'm a big guy. Like I have, I used that at my advantage <laughs> when I can, you know, I'm a pressure passer more than anything. And, but you know, there's so many levels to the game, like any game. It's a game the, theory thing. Yeah, it is. And then the rules of the game and then your strategy. And I've just been humbled so many times and learned so much about just, gosh, this, you know, this is a bad day. I just, you know, you have to have, you know, this is a bad day. Okay. I'll just, hopefully I have a better day tomorrow. And it, it's funny because I, I started jujitsu, you know, after my wife died, my wife, Jane died of leukemia and I did it to like feel something, you know, like to, to kind of like have some physicality yeah. and some, mm. no one knew who I was and it was just yeah. like, this, who's this guy shows up, right? And what I've found, yeah, it's the, you know, you, we roll, right? 
you got to roll with it. And so, and there's nothing else, nothing else matters while exactly. you're there. That's the, that's the beauty of it. And that's the, that's the beauty. That's what you need is you need, in, if you need, if you want to last in this game, you need to be able to stay alive. Right. And that's like the Naval podcast, you know, how to get rich, without getting lucky. Mm-hmm. One of the things, you know, one of his things is like, you know, don't, you know, never, never get out of the game. So never lose, which means basically never, you know, never go broke. Try never, try to never lose everything. Right. And a part of, you know, being able to kind of stay with the kind of mental pressure of everything is where do you go where that doesn't matter for an hour and you can regenerate. And for me, that that's jujitsu and that was surfing a bit, but I don't, I might just don't like the water. I don't trust it. <laughs> well, it's but there to I kill you. It's years. there to it's kill you. To, yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't, don't, no, no mistake about it. It's been there for a millions and millions of years. It's jobs to kill you. Don't. <laughs> I used yeah. to surf a lot, not a lot, but used to surf and like go in the ocean a lot. It's like, no, it's, it, it's, it's legit. You got it. You yeah. cannot think of anything else when you're, when you're in and the that's the same with jujitsu too. Yeah. Even yeah, yeah. though the consequences aren't as, aren't as bad, but they can be, yeah. yeah, you know, it is still a combat sport, but it's a combat sport, at least where you don't take brain trauma too yeah. much. Close, close to the head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that's the reason why. It, it just such an, it appeals to me so much. I mean, I don't know any other martial art where you can go hard. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. literally almost full out and not, I mean, yeah, you could do a leg lock or you could get an arm bar. Or I mean, I've got a, I've got a herniated disc in my neck right now. So like you can get injuries and they suck, but like you say, it's, it's usually pretty, pretty good. Yeah. And if you've got good training partners, usually yeah. nothing happens, you know, that's the thing is it's who you surround yourself with. And that's another great thing about the jujitsu community specifically is obviously the people are so humble and yeah. Mm-hmm. So kind of ego less. Yeah. Yeah. I found that any, anyone that I've rolled with or whatever, you know, of course there's always exceptions, but it's just so calm, calmer, you know, like that kind of the way they just hold themselves. It's like, they know that, you know, Oh, that was a good roll or that was a good, you know, take or whatever. And then it's like on to the next one. So it's, a, it's actually a really good metaphor for, for entrepreneurship in, in my mind. Mm. I just think it's, a, it's, it's this constant learning and you just can't, it's, it's interesting because you, you must remain vigilant. You just can't rest on your laurels. There's always someone better and you just have to be extremely, yeah, you have to be humble and you got to be hungry for it. You got to be team player even though it's an individual sport you know you have a partner you're rolling with you know you have to sense that i, I remember you know i was at the gym the other day i was rolling with she was like 16 right like she's like hey she's she's doing a tournament coming up in the tournament and she's like hey i i'd love to roll with you even though like you know she, i am literally probably 100 pounds than she is yeah and i'm like really she's like, yeah you know and and so clearly i could crush her this is like you know that's but the whole art of it is, okay, well, look, I have to, I'm helping you train. So I'm, and what's, what's helping me train is not using my physicality. Like, how do I do this with just pure technique, mm. you know? And as we were- Yeah, and you'll, and you'll learn, you yeah. learn things, you learn things from basically seeing what someone with a body, a different body type does. Yeah. And then you can actually implement that because yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't going to come natural to you, but yeah. you know, you kind of learned it from seeing it and feeling it. And that's kind of another thing about 
for me for investing specifically was it was impo- important for our strategy not to encompass just one discipline. I think being willing to kind of go and eat with different cultures and see how they do things and get wisdom and inspiration from other people and what they do is obviously a, a critical thing. And that that's very consistent with obviously the jujitsu way and specifically training with different body types. But also, of course, there is no jujitsu player undefeated. And they have absolute weight divisions, not because the heavyweight obviously would usually win maybe like, you know, eight out of 10, but it's those two that they don't. Because it is a game theory game and, you know, you, you can have like Kyo Terra from, from the Bay, Bay Area, you know, one of the greatest of all times. And he's like probably what, 125 pounds? Yeah. yeah. Maybe he's a bit more. He's probably, probably competes at that, but yeah. he's probably about 140 or something. But yeah, has trained some amazing heavyweights as well yeah. that are world champions. So it's... Yeah, it's an interesting one. But that's an interesting one I hear from black belts as well that are smaller guys that then do have to train. You know, when new people come in, they're going, they're a specific energy. And, you know, you, as a black belt, even if you're kind of smaller, you, have, you, you, you still can, you know, easily out kind of jujitsu someone much larger than you. But it's a bit of a pain. Yeah. What I've heard from them. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I think the risk about being a bit smaller in jujitsu is that you end up injured if yeah. you don't train wisely. Yeah. But that goes for everyone as well, right? So, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Specifically, I would say for the smaller body types, you know, there is no, like, I know world champions that I train with that are smaller and I train with everyone, but he doesn't. He won't train with anyone more than kind of 20 pounds heavier than him. He's like, what's the point? Hmm. You know, like that's not helping because he's doing it for a different reason, right? I'm doing it for the art and the experience in a sense. I mean, I still compete, mm-hmm. but he's trying to do this as his job. Yeah. And given that he's doing it for his job, he just won't, he just won't deviate out of the body type that he knows he has to compete against, which I found quite interesting and a different mindset. Well, I mean, he's playing a different game to your point. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. And, and that's the thing I think up. Of- it always fascinates me about martial arts and game theory and again, just games in general is, you know, the, where at the gym I go to, you know, they combat, it, it's kind of multimodal. So that's jujitsu, it's sambo, they do a little judo, right. they do a little, all these sort of things. And, and the philosophy is not that one is better. It's yeah. just, they're just different games you're playing. So if you're, if you're doing sambo, that's a different game than judo. That's a different game than jujitsu. And yeah, or wrestling or whatever. And what, what's what I find really fascinating about that is the rules of the game matter if you're competing, right? There's, yes. You know, IBJJF rules. There's all these other different yeah. rules, right? It's like heel hooking when you're in the gi. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, okay. And so what what's what I find fascinating about the different games is that, yeah, they, they players in those games optimize for the the rules. And the other thing is one of my friends, you know, that I train with Scott, he's, he's always saying that the highest level games are played at the margins. So they're always this like pushing on the, on the rule. Right. And, and I always find this fascinating because, you know, there is no one martial art that's perfect for everything. Right. That you, you have to, you have to have this open mind that, oh, I'm going to use some stuff. Well, there's, there's MMA. Yeah, there is. Well, there is MMA. That's true. And I would probably, you know, you'd probably go ahead and say, okay, 
MMA is probably the perfect one because it encompasses a well-rounded MMA fighter yeah. encompasses all of those, yeah. you know, so maybe MMA is almost the perfect yeah. martial art because it's all of them. Yeah. I mean, that, right? that's actually really good. That, you know, that's a good look point. at MMA now compared to where it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Like you UFC know, everyone is world. Yeah. Everyone's world-class everywhere, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like you're I not going to, yeah. Jiu-Jitsu yeah. guy, like Jiu-Jitsu guys especially have struggled notoriously in MMA in recent history to take people down yeah yeah and control them yeah so yeah maybe mma is the perfect martial art certainly close i mean you know you just which tells you a lot right it's about mixed right yeah. it's about yeah it's about kind of going and learning from different areas and i'm big 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 fan of that advocate for that for sure yeah me too me too i remember reading it with some i think it was on instagram or something where they're saying you know the oh yeah the, uh, the ufc Champions are, you know, all some type or, or proves that jujitsu is the best for UFC champions. And then the graph was like, actually, no, it's wrestlers. <laughs> wrestlers. They were all really yeah. good wrestlers. Wrestlers think, were, yeah, yeah. Well, wrestlers have the best. I, th I think from, you know, I don't know if that actually works. I, I was thinking of making a, a betting model to see if like statistically, cool. you know, if you just bet on wrestlers every time. Yeah. You would, you know, you'd kind of that would be profitable i never back tested it or anything but you know it seems to me like yeah wrestlers seem to have uh, the best kind of lineage of yeah. champions it does seem that way well charlie appreciate the time man what such a great conversation super interesting what you're doing i just love the whole you know learn from everyone kind of multimodal thing that totally doing that and so so cool that you're a jujitsu practitioner so cool thanks awesome. for being on the show man i really appreciate yeah, it. yeah really appreciate the time had a blast talking about all the things i'm passionate about so it's been a great you know 40 odd minutes cool take care thanks for listening to the entrepreneur ethos podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode as much as i did creating it my hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better if you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, 
Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.